0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Addictive Pod. My name is Adrian, and I'm so grateful to be here today hosting this episode. I was really lucky to meet my guest today. I actually saw his post on a Facebook group, shout out Recovery Canada. I saw his post and I knew I wanted to hear the full story. I wanted to help him spread this message of hope. But the story starts off very dark. Drugs at a young age, b to fund a heroin addiction at age 17, and then 18 years dealing drugs in East Hastings, Vancouver in and out of prison, until the last withdrawal almost ends it all. My guest somehow survived all of this insanity and began working the 12 steps of recovery, building a completely new life. He's now the father to two children who lost their mothers in drug addiction. This is such a beautiful story of transformation. I hope you get as much out of it as I did listening to it. Please join me in welcoming my guest from Vancouver, BC, Peter Soyless. Peter, welcome to the Addictive Pod. How are you doing, man? Hey, how's it going? It's going good. I'm really excited to have another fellow Canadian on the show. Um, I saw that post you made on on uh, on Facebook, and so I'm I'm glad that you were willing to come on the show and share your story more fully. I'm looking forward to hearing it.
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be here and uh, happy to to uh, maybe connect with somebody and uh, inspire somebody else. So yeah, it's, it's
0: a great thing to be here. So, did you grow up in uh, West Coast, or did did you just move out there?
1: Yeah, I grew up in. Uh, I was born and raised in East Vancouver, so I've been been here all my life. Uh, parents actually immigrated from Greece. Um, yeah, but I've been. I was born and raised in an East Van out here. So, yeah.
0: What was it like living in in like surrounded with so much natural beauty? Like, did that uh, well, natural beauty, but then also being in contact with sort of rougher parts of humanity as well. You have East Hastings, you have parts of Vancouver that are just really, really sad to see.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was uh, like where I grew up, a lot of multicultural, you know what I mean? Like uh, a little bit of every culture, you know, there was uh, Asians, Filipinos, uh, East Indians, uh, you know, and pretty much every kind of uh, ethnicity. And that was good, too, because you had a variety of uh, I had a variety of friends uh, I never really experienced the the bad side of things when like when you mentioned uh, East Hastings until uh, later on in life. But I mean, it was like, uh, yeah, it was it was a I had a good childhood. Like growing up, I had lots of friends, uh, very social.
0: What was it like um, going through high school? Going through sort of the the teenage years? Um, did you start to drink, or did you start to do any drugs around then? Or what was what was life like in in your high school years? So. so- like school wasn't my biggest thing. Um,
1: you know, I got, uh, I got, I can remember I got held back in grade two, actually. So I actually had to redo grade two. Uh, I wasn't really like, I was always kind of like a wild child, you know, like, uh, it was never good with sitting in class and, uh, wanting to learn. Like I was always, uh, joking with friends and and, uh, being a nuisance uh, with friends and stuff. Yeah. You want to go to recess. Yeah, exactly. We is <laughs> the best part in PE. Yeah, <laughs> man. So, yeah, school was never really my thing. High school, I can remember when I got to high school, that's kind of when, um, like, even at a young age in elementary school, I can remember uh, getting into trouble at a very young age. You know what I mean? Like, uh, um, stealing from other kids, you know what I mean? Like, bikes in the neighborhood and stuff. So, I, I definitely remember my my bad side started to come out very young with me right um like i said we were we were always uh, out you know doing stuff that we shouldn't be uh, there was a group of friends and of us and like high school kind of came along and uh, i never really got too involved in high school grade 8 is when i uh, enrolled into high school and then like, it really started to get a little bit worse for me there.
0: Why were you Why were you stealing stuff, though? Was it more so, like, just to break the rules and to be cool? Or was it, like, you actually wanted stuff that other kids had?
1: Just because I wanted the bike that that person had yeah. or
0: whatever. I was, you know, the kids I was hanging around with, we
1: were all kind of doing the same thing. Um, you, you know, I don't know. I don't really have an answer for why. I, I, I guess at that age, being a kid, it was like, oh, that's a nice bike. I want that bike. Yeah, or, yeah so I don't think I had the best role models as parents. Not role models, but uh how can I say it? Um I had parents, but I didn't have parenting.
0: Mm, they kind of let you do what you wanted, let you have a lot of freedom. Exactly.
1: exactly. A lot of freedom. You hit it right on the nail. Yeah. Like always, um like my dad, uh, I grew up in the, he grew up in the restaurant business, right? So my dad was never home, always uh, working. Um, You know, like my parents immigrated from Greece, right? So yeah. they weren't really hands on with like the Canadian way of living or whatever you might call it, right? So um, But yeah, like a lot of freedom, right? So there was never, you know,
0: and not 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 too many rules in the house You know what I mean? We were just able to do what we wanted So you started to break these rules you started to uh, you didn't have a lot of rules to break you had a lot of freedom Um, When did when did alcohol or or drugs enter the scene?
1: Uh, I Must have been around uh, the drinking came first um, like maybe fifteen or I want to say fifteen or sixteen in high school. Actually, smoking came along, cigarettes first. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, and then before any drinking was actually it was actually drugs to be honest. Wow. Um, yeah, like pot, a lot of a lot of smoking, a lot of weed, uh, mushrooms. You know, acid came into play back in the day when we were kids. You know what I mean? So yeah, the drugs came before the the drinking for sure, if I can remember correctly. Um, even pills, you know what I Jeez. mean? Some pills we
0: Yeah. And this is in like grade 11, grade 12. Grade eight. Wow. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Yeah. So like, how old was I then? like 16? Yeah. That's young. That's young. I feel yeah. like grade eight, I definitely was drinking, but I think I maybe smoked like a cigarillo or something, but most people in grade eight, I think the worst they would have done that of the kids I knew was probably weed, but I guess different, yeah. different friend groups, right? Different groups of people
1: exactly the the groups of friends i was hanging around with
0: we we were like i said when we when i hit
1: high school we i started to get into crime you know what i mean yeah. um stealing cars uh stealing whatever you know what i mean uh we were going to malls and stealing from malls out of stores and stuff you know what i mean i i got in actually i think it was when i very first started to drink was when i got my very first serious charge um i was 16 and um we were all drinking and we got drunk and we went down to, uh, uh, a place called the blue boy hotel. Um, it was like a bowling alley slash connected to a, a strip club kind of thing there. And, uh, there was, uh, maybe four or five of us. And we got into a, an argument and slash fight with one of the bouncers from, um, from the strip club that was connected to the bowling alley that we were going to. And long story short, I ended up, uh, uh, pulling out a knife and i ended up uh like stabbing the guy you know what i mean and uh so yeah like i said i was drunk and and you know what i mean all we were all drunk ended up getting uh caught for that on scene um so uh i, I that was my very first charge was uh they charged me with attempted murder at uh at uh, 16 years old Jeez. and I, I yeah i ended up copping out to uh a, uh, a lesser charge i pled guilty to assault with the weapon because gotcha. you know what i mean so yeah and uh, i ended up doing uh six months for that
0: in in, uh, uh, like in juvie Shubhi. yeah yeah what was it like uh with your parents finding out about that i mean they they had kind of given you that freedom and you were doing your own thing did they start to see what was going on and and what was the blowback from that
1: uh not quite yet i was really good at how- the charge was devastating to them yeah. it was like pretty I was lying a lot. Right. So I was able to hide things. I was, um, and you know, I just, um, I, they didn't find out about, like I said, I was already doing drugs at that point, but they didn't, they weren't, they weren't really on to me. You know yeah. what I mean? Until the heavy drugs came into play. Like I said, um, and now I was involved in cr- a lot of crime and stuff. Um, and I started to get charges for like, uh, stolen cars and this and that. And I was just say something like, Oh, I was just a passenger, uh, you know what I mean? So, yeah, um, then the juvenile detention center started to come and play more often, right? Because I was, like, I was actually stealing to go get weed and stuff. You know what I mean? It got to that point, right? Um, Doing crime for, like, breaking into houses, doing B&Es and stuff.
0: And this is still at, like, 16, 17, like, right yeah. after your first stint in juvie. Wow, yeah. man. So, it really, yeah. it, it escalated pretty quickly then from, like, 15 to 17.
1: Oh, oh, oh 17, it escalated really bad. Uh, I can remember close to being around just when I started to turn around 17, I started to, uh, dabble into, uh, into heroin. Wow. Yeah. So it got introduced to our, like, I hung around with the same group of friends pretty much every day. And, um, so like, even I think I was by 16, I was 16, just turning into 17. I I started to dabble into the heroin and, um, I mean, before you know it, um, I was I was uh, addicted to heroin at the age of 16, just turning 17, full-blown heroin addict. Oh my God! Man. And then the crime got worse. Yeah, the crime got worse because now I'm uh, dependent on a drug, right? Yeah. Because I'm I'm like if I don't have it, I get sick. You know what I mean? And it was the same for all my friends that that were doing it that I was hanging around with. So now. We were doing, you know, uh, more like heavier crimes. You know what I mean? Like I said, B and E's a lot more often. We were robbing people, whatever, whatever it took, right? Um, so yeah, it started to get really bad
0: at, uh, uh, once I I introduced heroin into my life, right? I mean, even even in twenties or thirties, or like heroin is is a powerful drug and can really change people's um decision making ability but at 16 i mean your brain's not even developed you're not even you're still just figuring out like who you are and what you want to do and so to introduce drugs like that it's just it's devastating yeah, yeah, man exactly. like i can see how it progressed
1: exactly and um you know it was uh like it was it, it was uh it was pretty ser- like i never really even even thought about it uh at, at that uh to, the way you just explained it you know what i mean um it was uh like i can i remember i think i was the only one when i when i would end up in jail sometimes in juvie i would be withdrawing because i i've been wired to heroin and i'd be sitting there in jail withdrawing off of heroin and all these kids would be looking at me like well not kids but young teenagers like what the hell's going on with this guy they've never seen it you know what i mean because it was um like i was doing it at such a young age you know what i mean
0: so how long did you do heroin for? Like how long did this period go on for? Where you're doing b and e's, you're doing everything you can to fund the drug habit. How do, how does that last?
1: So my whole life. So, okay, I can. I think I need to really get to the point where, once the heroin got introduced, that it started to get really bad, and then, uh, so I was doing crimes. You know, doing different crime, and and I don't even know how or or like I guess well no. I thought it would be a good idea. So now we, a couple of our fr- friends of us, a couple of our, my friends thought it would be a good idea to try and like uh, go downtown because we heard, oh, you can sell drugs down there and, uh, um, you know, you can make money. So we thought, okay, this might be easier than uh, than doing crime, you know what I mean? Because we're getting busted and we're doing time in jail. Um, so at the age of 17, still, you know, um, things started to escalate really fast. At 17, I ended up down on... Uh, on Skid Row, the downtown east side, and I was, and I was slinging flaps of heroin on the street. And uh, let me tell you, for the next, uh, so I ended up down there at 17 years old as a as a teenager. And for the next 17 years, I never left those streets. Wow. But that's man. where. Yeah. And uh, I got entrapped down there for almost 20 years, almost two decades. Uh, I'm getting goosebumps just talking wow. about it right now. I'm getting yeah.
0: goosebumps too, man, because I went by that street. Like, I visited Vancouver this summer, and we we biked down East Hastings, and I've never seen anything like it in my life. Like, I grew up downtown Toronto. I've seen homeless. I've seen addicts. And East Hastings, like, that that area of Vancouver is just so, so intense. How many people are out there? It's it's rated, like, one of the worst in North America, right?
1: One of the yeah. worst and most drug-infested streets Highest out there,
0: overdose right? overdose rate. Yeah, it's just No, it's brutal. brutal
1: and the way i see it today cuz i do sometimes drive through there too and i'm like wow it's it's gotten progressive it's just worse it never gets better in that lifestyle right
0: but how did you survive yeah. that man like how do you not uh, like 20 years like how do you not die or, or get killed by like there's so many different ways that could have gone there was
1: many times where i came close right so now i'm down there as a as a young kid and and i'm and i'm starting to freaking and i ended up being down there by myself my my friends never came back like they left right yeah I ended up staying down there so I was alone now so now I gotta learn the, the ropes of the street uh you know uh, and I started to you know try still to learn how to, to sell heroin and I got I would take uh I would take a pinch every now and then because I didn't know like undercovers you know and this I was learning the ropes still so I'd be selling to undercover cops because I would I thought they were like another customer or whatever. So yeah. I learned real quick right And so now I got uh, my adult record starts and the very first charges are possession of uh, cocaine or heroin, uh, trafficking cocaine or heroin. You know what I mean? And um, so it was in and out of jail. And then eventually I started to slowly learn, you know, what I mean, the street life. And uh, (laughs) after almost uh, 20 years down there, yeah, I got, you know, it became uh, it became my life. Right. And um, and then cocaine came into the picture for me. Uh, like I started snorting coke at first, and then um, from that I, it became uh, I started smoking rock, smoking crack, right? So now I'm uh, I'm a full-blown heroin addict and and crackhead, uh, stuck on the downtown uh, east side, and um, you know it got uh there, It was pretty scary for me, you know, at such a young age. Uh, but back then it was a lot different than it is now. And like when you say, how did I survive? Well, you know, I definitely had uh, somebody out looking somebody i was looking out for me yeah. you know what i mean like i've been i've been robbed i've been i've been beat i was in you know deathly situations where like the thing that people don't see down there on the on the news or whatever in the, in the public eye is what goes on in those hotels mm. and let me tell you it's a whole different world down there in those hotels that's where all the, the dirt happens right or in the back alley you know what i mean like you just it's not uh it's not publicized or seen by by the people in society right
0: yeah the street is just the aftermath like the street is just everybody just just wasted basically um it's kind of the the end result you don't see everything leading up to it and what people do to get there what people do to get their their fix
1: well behind closed doors there was so much violence and so much going on in those hotels those grimy hotels down there right There's like uh, all down these hastings, you know, they have all those old hotels and it's all taken over by uh, by the drug addicts that live in there. Right. And uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was uh, it was it was rough at first. And then I eventually um, I started to uh, get better. I don't want to I don't know if you want to say better, but I started to (laughs) excel in my drug trafficking. Yeah. So I was going to ask,
0: like, are you are you homeless at this point or are you making a lot of money? Like what? how did you... in, the, in the
1: beginning, I was homeless. So in the beginning, I was homeless. And uh, like I said, I was learning the ropes. And I'd be like, I'd be climbing up fire escapes, uh, jump into hotel windows to sleep, find a room in, and sleep in, the, in one of the hotel rooms or whatever, right? Uh, so, or I'd sneak in the front door. Or sometimes, you know, back then, I can remember, they charge you like five bucks. It's called the guest fee to just get into the hotel, And say you're going to see somebody, and there's so many abandoned rooms, Mm. you know what I mean, because it's infested with just drug addicts. There's no actual society living in those places, right? Um, So, yeah, I would get into a room, and I'd pass out and sleep, and right back at it until eventually, like I said, um, I had to get, uh, quote-unquote, better at uh, at at selling the drugs and, uh, you know. And then I would eventually rent rooms and be able to just pay cash because, you know, everybody was dirty down there and it was all about the dollar, right? The hotel owners, you know what I mean? Right. And um, so, you know, it was quite easy to just uh, have somebody in your pocket and pay them to let you do what you were doing. You know what I mean? And um, so, yeah, it was to the point where now I'm starting to make a bunch of this, a bunch of money and I've got like endless amounts of drugs. So that was another reason why it was really hard for me to get out because, you know, there was times where I got to the point where I was, I was trafficking uh, in 24 hours. Let's say like, for example, in, in a day of, of selling uh, drugs, I, I was clearing like 25 dollars $30,000 in cash and wow. in, in drug sales. You know what I mean?
0: And that's just so, you, um, like you don't have people working for you. You don't have uh, dealers yeah, I work... had
1: people working for okay. me. Eventually I, I started, had people working for me. I'd be sitting in hotels and just, that's all I did was, was, was slang dope and, uh, and get high. Right. Wow. And, um, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I blew up pretty quick. It got to the point, like I said, um, <laughs> I was, uh, I was doing like 25, 30,000 in sales a day and, uh, you know, picking up like 25 ounces of, of blow at a time, maybe a, a quarter pound of heroin or whatever, you know what I mean? And, um, so yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was like, uh, I was in La La Land because I. For an addict to have this yeah. constant supply of drugs and money, it's like, wow, this is amazing. You know what I mean? And for an addict at my caliber, right? Like I wasn't, uh, I can go through a half ounce, an ounce of Coke a day smoking alone myself. Yeah. So like it was, it was quite easy for me to go through a thousand dollars a day of drugs just smoking with my whatever it was I was doing, right? And, like uh girls became a big issue for me women right i like that was another addiction of mine was uh was sex you know what i mean so it was quite easy for me to to sit around with a with the broad or t- or even two girls and uh you know go through like a half ounce an ounce of coke and you know uh, cuz sex was like that was it became a real problem for me right that was um uh, you know another one of my addictions and like i said it this carried on for For, uh, like I said, the whole time I was down there, right? And um, I would just end up getting more charges. You know what I mean? They would come in with the warrants. You know, you never, I can never um, uh, predict what's going to happen, right? The the, the charges happen just like that. And, you know, at the the blink of an eye, it could happen, right? Where... You're doing something. You're walking down the street, and you got a bunch of gear on you. And the cops pull up right beside you, and they just jack you, right? And
0: yeah, especially if you're doing that volume, right? You're doing for that long with that amount of volume. It, it seems like it's just a matter of time. Um, yeah, and, and
1: and that's what was happening every now and then, right?
0: But but you would just get right back out there. So you would serve you would serve a, a time, or or you would like what happened? You were charged fines or no? I would
1: uh, I would get charged for uh, possession for the purpose of trafficking cocaine heroin whatever it might be i would do 30 days i would do 90 days i would do 10 months i would do 18 months i'd get out and uh i would because i was uh involved with the with a couple of people that were supplying me they were just i uh I was with the same right, away,
0: right again guy. yeah
1: i was with the same guy for like almost 20 years holy right holy shit man so it was quite easy for me that was kind of like my family that guy right that yeah. i was dealing with and um and he was uh, really good to me, and so it was—it uh, was no problem to get a, a big bag of gear again once I get out and start up again, right? Because he was always there. I mean, I was making him thousands of yeah. dollars. So why I guess you had money? you had
0: you had proven yourself in the past. He kind of he was looking forward yeah. to working with you again. Um, yeah. So how does this all end? How does where where does this lead you? When do you, when do you hit rock bottom?
1: So it's like it started to, you know, I did that for so so many years, and then again it started to get bad because now like, uh, in the beginning it was all fun and it was, you know, making all this money and women and, and, you know, all these material things. But then it got to the point where I started to isolate a lot and I was, you know, you know, it was, I was starting to get set up more and, you know, I was, I was, uh, you know, people are always out to get you, man, in that lifestyle. You know what I mean? You got, you, you know, you got to constantly look over your shoulder, you know what I mean? And, um, So it was this, uh, this one time, like, I think it was, um, 2011 or 10, I got set up pretty bad and it was somebody that I thought would never do something like that. You know what I mean? And uh, I walked into a situation with a bunch of gear and, um, and I ended up getting rushed by like, uh, four guys and I nearly got stabbed to death and, uh, you know, they beat on me and, um, and I ended up getting out of that situation. Um, and, you know, I was, uh, I was sitting at, uh, at my apartment there and I was like, you know, this is, this is, you know, like, to be honest, for the longest time I wanted to quit, you know what I mean? I, like at the end, yeah. near the end, it, it got to the point where I wanted to stop, but I couldn't, you know what I mean? Like every time I go into jail, I'd say, I'm going to get out and never do this again. No, this is never happening. I'm never going to do this again. And because the withdrawals was the worst part for me. Like it was just murder because I was, so wired to doing so much hair like the withdrawals were just you think i would learn from the first okay maybe second or third but no multiple times i would do the same thing over and over right yeah and um later on i i, I this is once i got into into my the program is where i learned this was uh this was the disease right where it was my thing you know uh yeah, the it mental
0: was, obsession as soon as you're yeah, out the obsession,
1: yeah. yeah so yeah and then um that's what i told myself for, for for years, you know, I'm not, not going to do this or I'm just going to do it once. You know what I mean? And that, that, that doesn't work that oh, way. Oh yeah. That's another like great
0: me. lie. Yeah. I'll just try it. I'll just do one last time. Just try it a little yeah. bit, you know?
1: Yeah. That didn't, unfortunately it didn't work that way for me, for someone like me. Right. Um, so yeah. And then, like I said, I ended up, uh, so in 2011, um, that happened there. And, and like I said, I was, I wanted to get out for the longest time now near the end there, but I just couldn't stop. Right. I was, I was, I think not only was I addicted to the drugs, but I was addicted to the lifestyle. You know what I mean? So, um, and then, uh, it was 2011. I, uh, I ended up taking a pinch. I was, uh, apparently after getting taken the pinch, I find out I was uh, being watched and I was under investigation for like four months uh, under surveillance. Uh, and it was dubbed, uh, project tyrant that I ended up, uh, getting, uh, involved in with, uh, and so that was, uh, 2011. Uh, yeah, it was dubbed project tyrant. And uh, like I said, I was being watched and under surveillance and, and then they came in, they moved in eventually when I guess they had enough evidence and they, um, they did a bunch of raids on my place. The guy I was uh, working with, um, there was actually two groups of people involved, um, from the downtown east side there was eight eight in total it's actually up there you can google it project tyrant um from 2011 VPD there's a whole article on it, it was on the all the papers and the news and stuff um and um, so there was like eight people they ended up taking down there was uh, myself the two people I was involved with and then five other guys that I didn't even like I knew some of them but I had nothing to do with them it was just yeah. one whole big investigation that we were involved in right and um and that was that that kind of like was the the going thing for me right i'm like uh you know i just got I just wanted to like stop and get out and long story short i ended up uh trying to fight the charges i got um i got charged with a bunch of uh, coke and heroin and weed and uh firearms and um
0: what type of sentencing what sentencing were you facing do you think uh three to five years they were
1: asking uh-huh. right um so I ended up getting found guilty because I obviously, again, I, I'm not the person that just pleads guilty except for that one time <laughs> uh, when I was a juvie, I had let, copped to a lesser charge, but I would always take my stuff to trial and then uh, and ended up getting found guilty and they were, uh, they were asking for three to five years. And then, uh, and then that's when kind of like it, the journey started for me where uh, something flipped and I just wanted to not, It wasn't, it wasn't prison that I feared because I did that my whole life. Right. It was, uh, it was more or less, again, it was the withdrawals that I don't want to end up back in there going through that shit again. And that's kind of crazy as it sounds. Most people would say they don't want to go back to jail because they don't like, but for me, I was, the only thing I was fearing was I knew the withdrawals were coming this time in the past. I would take a pinch. Uh, I didn't, it was unexpected. I, I didn't know that it was coming. It would just happen. So I really, really wasn't expecting to, to be uh, going through, uh, withdrawals. Right. But this time I was on bail and I had gotten found guilty and I knew, well, they're going to put me away. You know what I mean? They're, with my record, there's no way I'm not going to get time. And I reached out to a friend that I was down there with. Um, actually she reached out to me and, um, we, uh, you know, we thought about getting on uh suboxone or whatever. And, um, and ended up being, um, uh, I took the the the, the, the route of, she said, like, if I didn't have this person, because, you know, like I said, I was alone and I I didn't have any help, right? Like, I, so I a big thing I want to mention, it's a very important part is, so the whole 17 years I was down there, um, I never had any contact with any of my family.
0: Wow. So yeah, ne- I was going to yeah, ask you about that. So, so
1: zero contact with the family. So they didn't know if I was dead or alive for the whole 17 years I was down there I I kept saying to myself Christmas came along I'll call Christmas uh birthdays came along I'll just make a phone call but I honestly and when you went to shame. prison
0: like when you were in prison you never contacted them they I actually, never found that,
1: out now that you met, yeah that's the only time I would eventually call sometimes okay. right to tell them I was in jail but then that was it right I would tell my mom um oh, you know what I mean I'm not gonna do it again blah 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 I would get out and that was it yeah. and then that only went on for to a certain point but then um uh, like past a certain point i never even called in jail right so th- at that time it had been like 17 years I and mean, had gone by and i didn't even know it was that long until i'll get into it in a bit here where i reunited with the family that they said yeah you were gone 17 years you know what i mean and for myself it like i didn't know it was that long you know what i mean like um everyone else's life just kept going and i just because of the lifestyle and what i was doing my life just kind of was at a pause. The minute I went down there as a kid at 17 years old, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah, like seven. So, like I said, the whole time I was down there, they didn't hear from me once, right? And um, like I said, I reached some – my friend and I were talking about recovery and, and getting into a detox, this and that. And uh, eventually it, it – um, I um. <clears throat> so while I was on bail and I wanted to get this done before, before sentencing um, – So I set a date for sentencing sometime down the road. And now I uh, my friend ends up taking me out to... uh, She ended up taking me out to Kelowna. Um, I think it was Crossroads Detox. I ended up detoxing um, in that place. And um, I think they only hold you for like 14 days before they cut you loose. And uh, I was in rough shape. Uh, Come around like the 10th day in, I started to like throw up uh i was vomiting uh blood and um like my i was in so much pain in my stomach and i was vomiting a lot of blood and it was kind of like uh you know when you you make a pot of coffee and the wet coffee grains
0: oh
1: yeah so it it looked like that and the minute the nurses saw that they admitted me to the they took me into the called an ambulance i ended up uh, in Kelowna hospital um and uh ended up i stayed overnight and um like i was in so much pain my stomach and i stayed at the because they had to wait for the next day to like a stick a camera down my throat i guess and they ended up finding out i had a, a stage four upper gi bleed the gastrointestines were bleeding that's why i was vomiting blood uh i had um a burnt esophagus from all the years i guess of smoking Ooh, heroin because yes. was a heroin smoker right and um and, uh, like I had an ulcer or whatever in my stomachs. So that's why my stomach was hurting. So I was, I was in rough shape. I ended
0: up staying
1: in the hospital for about a week,
0: man. You're lucky to be alive. I'm talking to a dead man right now. This is insane.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that, that lasted a week. And, uh, you know, they were trying to find some info on me and they took my name. Like I had no medical cause I was under the radar for so many years. Right. and had no like medical or anything, cards or whatever. And, um, uh, ended up, like I said, I still stuck, I stuck it out and I was, um, I got, the plan was to go from there to, uh, a, a treatment center, um, it called Crossroads, which was a 70 day program. Um, so I ended up leaving the hospital, going into the treatment center, um, getting, uh, and getting into, uh, um, King Haven, it was called in, in Abbotsford. And the time I was there, I was still kind of in rough shape, um, slowly started to come around and um one day i get a, a phone call from one of the um from one of the um counselors and uh they said your uh your brother dimitri called for you and uh, my heart just like dropped right um so like all these years had gone by again i didn't know how long it was personally i don't yeah. rem- like you know what I mean.
0: and then but like over five years for sure like maybe 10
1: yeah so like like i knew it was a long time like a good 10 years at least but um so i was uh i got uh uh, somehow they tracked me down uh oh i'll tell you how never mind somehow (laughs) oh so the whole time that that the hospital bill ended up getting billed to my mom my because my mom's name came up um when they punched in my last name i guess under the same records or whatever so uh one day my mom i ended up finding this out after i reunited with the family my mom ends up getting a seven thousand dollar hospital bill under my name and that was the first sign that they heard of me in 17 years and they knew i was alive and somewhere
0: you're lucky you weren't in the states man it would have been 700 grand (laughs) so (laughs) thank god God for canada
1: (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) and um the uh, they ended up doing some leg work, my sister and my brother, and they ended up somehow tracking me down in Kinghaven. And that's when my brother called out there. And um, so you know, and again, I was, I was, um, I would say to myself, Oh, I'll call tomorrow. I'll call and the, and the counselor's like, Yo, you're gonna call because they yeah. knew some of my story, right? And he sat me down and he said, Just do it. And it was the freaking that phone weighed like 200 pounds, man. Let me tell you, to try to pick it up and and my heart was racing and then that was that what i didn't i made the phone call to my brother and uh i got his answering machine his voicemail <laughs> and uh but then i left the voicemail and then he called back and then i called again and that was the first uh yeah that was the first interaction with uh with the family right eventually they in the 70 days i was there then they my sister and mom came to visit me and it was yeah i, wow, st- I still man. have pictures i have pictures of the first time we reunited um, actually, no, no, it wasn't there. It was in a, it was in a parking lot where I drove to meet my mom with, uh, with a friend of mine. I got a, a pass for the day. Um, the woman that helped me get into crossroads and, and transferred me from the hospital to the, to the, uh, the King Haven, we went together and I was going to meet my mom in the white spot. Um, and, uh, I pulled up and then there was a lady in the parking lot and she's like, is that your mom? is that your mom? Cause we were going to meet in the parking lot. And I honestly, I didn't recognize her. I oh says, I don't God. know. You know what I mean? And, uh, I didn't, I didn't recognize her. Wow. And, uh, so I, 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 hop out and yeah, she, she recognized me right away. You know what I mean? And we sat down and, uh, it's, uh, it's history after that and
0: you know they um so did you still have to started, serve the three three to five years or what no, happened oh so, at-
1: yeah so, up, so what happened there was uh so now like i got i had the detox under my belt i had uh the hospital stink under my belt i i was almost completed the 70-day program in Kinghaven and then i my plan was from Kinghaven go right to a, a, a treatment center or a, pro, a program out um in Prince George, it was a one-year program. So I had all my paperwork for everything I was doing. And I went in front of the judge and I ended up getting a good judge. So I ended up getting a, a, a good judge and I presented, you know, this is how long I've been clean. This is what I've done. The detox, The um, I had letters from the doctors. I had counselor letters. And I had my application for, for Baldy Hughes to go up there for the next year to complete their one-year program. And uh, at the end of the day, the, the judge said, you know what? you better consider yourself very lucky because with your record and your history and, and the charges, um, you know, you're, you're, you should be going to jail for the next at least three years. Yeah. And, uh, he ended up giving me, uh, the maximum sentence that you can get for a conditional sentences was, which is for this, uh, doing your time on the street, uh, conditional sentences, you're, you don't go to jail. You do it in society. Right. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So I got two years, uh, two year sentence, Two years less a day, if it was uh two years plus, then I would have to go and it was it was told it would be inside, right? So he gave me two years less a day, um, conditional sentence and um it so, came with and where did plus. you
0: serve that? Like so I've never heard of that before, like serving the sentence in the street. Is that um like doing community work and
1: well no, it was um a law majority was uh I was already residing in treatment center and then the plan was to be in a year program so it would have been, you know, in in the in those uh, in the treatment center for okay. like at least over a year. But you know, some people it's different for everyone. Yeah, you get community service, but it comes with a shitload of restrictions, right?
0: Right. Curfew.
1: Uh, go into your P call, contact your PO, whatever. It comes with whatever kind of restrictions and and they want to give you. Um, so I had a a list of, uh, red zones, you know, I couldn't go down in this area. I couldn't, you know what I mean? I couldn't associate with this person. Um, I had to see my PO this amount of time. Um, I had a, you know, and, um, so I was lucky because out of the two years, at least a year and a half was in treatment centers. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I ended up, uh, I, I completed the 70 day program in King Haven, got on a Greyhound immediately from that place and went right to Prince George and uh I that was a one year program and I did a, a lot of work up there with counselors and uh yeah I uh, my um I ended up meeting somebody um that would come up uh, every so often um, um that's where I met my sponsor right and um I got he was he would take guys through the steps the 12 steps so would, and, would 12 uh, step
0: guys come to the treatment center and hold meetings in the center or was was everyone uh, well this
1: no, the way they work it works there is they kind of give you like uh the book the big book and then the, the a sheet of questions and answers and honestly uh now that i've gone through this stuff that wasn't really the proper way to do it for me um the proper way to do it period because i ended up finding out that you actually well i needed uh to be taken through the steps with uh with the sponsor and the had the book had to be read to me right yeah and um so that, that was the proper way that I figured, ended up figuring out how to, how to do the steps. Right. And I ended up, um, so like I got in, I ended up meeting, uh, his name was Joseph. He's my sponsor now. Um, and he has been from, from day one, right. When I ended up meeting him up there in uh, in, in, uh, in Baldy Hughes. And, um, you know, I did a lot of therapy work up there, you know, work programs, this and that. I, you know, um, <clears throat> I uh, then the, I made another plan to uh once I leave there I was going to go into a second stage house back in Vancouver right cuz you know I had to learn how to live again you know what I mean you know I was I just spent the last almost 20 years in a like retarded freaking lifestyle yeah and like kind of like living in a fucking cave you know what I mean <laughs> down there on those streets I never left those streets for nothing yeah, yeah. you know the only time I got off those streets was when I ended up in prison you know what I mean and uh so that like it was it was fucking it was a nightmare right so like being
0: what was it like going through so working with counselors um doing therapy how hard was that because you'd already been through withdrawal you'd been through the physical process which is really really hard that sounds like hell how hard was the mental aspect of it
1: uh for you know honestly it was um it was it was like there was re- there's relief in talking now that I've gone through it. You know, what I mean, you do a lot of talking in, in the groups there with other guys that are going through whatever they're going through. Everyone has a different story. Right. And um, so, like, yeah, because I never really talked about like like I said, I had uh, I had parents, but I never had parenting. I never once heard growing up. I love you. We, we never once sat at the table as a family and had dinner. Yeah. You know it was just, there was nothing, there was no structure in the house at all like that. If we wanted something to eat, we would go and make it ourselves. Or my mom would once in a while make some and it would be on the stove and we'd help ourselves and eat when we wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Never heard. I love you from, uh, my, par- like I didn't have bad parents. You know what I mean? I just, uh, it was just different times. I don't know what you want to call it, but it was,
0: um, yeah, they they was- gave you independence. They didn't really have those, those yeah, same like, ideals. Yeah.
1: It's not like I was neglected of any, you know, I had clothes, I had, we had toys growing up with, you know, we would, I remember going on trips and stuff, you know, we would do that and every now and then, but, uh, I didn't have like uh, any structure or parenting the way I see the way parents are today, or like, I'll use my sister as an example, uh, you know, or even my wife with the kids. Right. And, um, and, uh, so yeah, just too much, um, uh, you know, uh, and you know, I I listened to a lot of uh that I don't know if you've ever heard of him, Dr. Gab, Gabor Maté. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's yeah. that's amazing.
1: Oh, he's unbelievable and he hit it on the button for me, right? I was like he says 98% of the people have been through abuse, this and that, and abandonment he put in there, right? And I was abandoned as a child, right? I believe uh, by my parents not uh showing me love or you know, never heard I love you or just no str you know what I mean? Um it was just, uh, yeah, and, I, and that's, I was trying to figure out, okay, where do I fit in when he's naming all these, and it was abandonment, you know what I mean, and uh, so, yeah, and I ended up, uh, I did the, I, I finished the one-year program, and, you know, coming out of that place, I had a lot of fears of going back into society, right, who's going to hire me Will I get a job, like, I'm, I had, like, 32-plus convictions on my record, right, um, yeah, so I have no experience, no school no, I've never worked in my life. I, you know what I mean? The only, uh, the only experience I have is the only skills were street skills. Right. And, uh, you know, I've been a criminal and, and a freaking drug addict and, uh, and, uh, and a fucking, uh, I trafficked drugs my whole life. So I, I never worked. I never had any jobs. I had no education. So there was a lot of fear of going back into society for me. Right. And, um, but honestly, you know, and, uh, so I left and I ended up uh, getting into a place uh, called TWC out here in Vancouver together we can and that was a second stage house where you know you live on your own and they kind of integrate you back into into society you do things on your own and you know and um i i stayed there for fucking 17 months you know what i mean and then um i met uh i, I started to you know i ended up um getting i uh, got my first job i was uh d- detailing cars you know what i mean and um and i was so proud when i <laughs> When I got my first check, that was my first fucking working wow. paycheck ever. Yeah, and I, honest, and I honest showed, money. Exactly. And I showed my sponsor and he was like, Yeah, this is awesome, you know what I mean? And I was so proud to show him and wow, man. You know. And uh the you know, like I, I got to slowly I uh, was connecting back with my family and stuff. And um, you know, my sister was a little hesitant at first because you know, she only knew about what she seen on the news and uh and read in the papers from that last charge I had, right? Okay there- and Again, they didn't uh they didn't know me. I was gone for almost twenty years. So like what kind of person did he turn out to be? You know, they labeled me as this uh fucking violent drug dealer, this and that, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so like, you know, she had kids of her own. Like she had four kids that I had never met yet. Uh, you know what I mean? Because uh, I was gone and obviously life kept going on for them, you know what I mean? But for me, you know, I was um I was uh, like 36 years old I've never had no kids never been married just finally got um, my started to get my life together at 36 Um, you know what I mean so I integrated back into society and uh, I ended up meeting uh,
0: a woman how did you how did you handle that sort of the deflation of that ego though because at one point you're making like 20 to 30 K a day you're surrounded by women then you're going to detailing cars and oh
1: uh, it was tough mind you let me let me let me uh say that the this the it wasn't the thing was i was using so much drugs And like the 20 30,000 a day that might have been uh, was like drug sales it wasn't like money in my pocket you know what i mean but still i was still like, right, right. i had access to um um you
0: know all kinds of money myself but but that lifestyle right oh, like it's totally. a completely different lifestyle did you miss it at all like did you ever have oh did a, i ever miss yeah? it
1: and it's like, you know, my my fucking stinking thinking would go back like, hey, maybe now I can do it. You know, I'm clean. I'll make more money. I won't. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but uh, and sh- no, I, I already knew, know the outcome. Right. And I knew the outcome and I knew exactly where I would end up for someone like me because, uh, you know, I was yeah. I was the hard addict. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, like uh, I would be balls deep into it in no time again. Right.
0: Yeah. And you don't want to go through that withdrawal again. Like you already experienced that enough. Not it's just over. that,
1: uh, just to being a slave to, uh, the drugs period. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, uh, and this time, you know, that's when the fence fentanyl started to come around and like, oh, fuck man, let me tell you, people were dropping like flies and I'm like, yo, I just got out of there just in time. You know what I mean? Because, uh, for yeah. the amount of the pig, I am on drugs. Uh, I would have probably killed myself just from trying to get high. You know what I mean?
0: So, so you have the sponsor. You're working a, a regular job. You meet you meet a woman. How does this life start to take off? Like, how do you start to to build that life up? And and what's it like, um, sort of learning how to be normal in society? Yeah,
1: it's it was like I would get nervous. Like, um, I was still nervous in a lot of situations in society. Like, for example if i got my check and I would have to go into the bank and and cash it or whatever I'd get nervous in those situations because I didn't I wasn't yeah. familiar with those situations right um even though I wasn't doing anything wrong I'm like I just uncomfortable right I was comfortable around chaos uh drug addicts criminals and getting high you know what I mean um like I said it was it was a whole new world to me right um I ended up uh well I stuck with the with the program right the the recovery um side of things and like i said i started to meet people i was connected with my sponsor and i i did my actual first good set of steps right like up there like i said it was it was uh not really the proper way they they did they did it so i went through um it was called a rapid step group where we did it in seven days and um i that's when they talk about the spiritual experience i get it now right i didn't i couldn't understand it before but uh yeah it was uh i did a rapid set of steps with like 14 people, male, female. And I can remember, um, you know, step one where I, uh, there was a point where uh, we were down on our knees and we were, and I can remember just surrendering. Right. And I started to just, I broke out in tears. Right. And that was, I can remember vividly my first spiritual experience, right. Uh wow. was step one. Right. And then step five with my sponsor was another one where I um, had a spiritual experience after I was done uh, my step five with him. And, um, that, uh, the steps was huge for me. Right. It, uh, it shifted my thinking. Right. And, um, it's uh, like, uh, I, whatever it, it does. And you
0: have someone hear all your shit. You have someone hear your life story, your fears, your angers, and still accept you. Right. Like he could he listen to all that and then be with you. Like that's, oh my God.
1: And, uh, you know, and like, again, even the people in the program, they're, they, they've been through it. Right. So they know, and they're the, some of the most compassionate people I've met. Right. And understanding they don't judge. Me too. And they're, uh, they're always going to welcome you back with open arms. Right. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 stuck with, uh, doing meetings and stuff and, um, staying connected. Right. Uh, that's the most important thing I, I would call my sponsor like every, almost every day because I wanted to ask him about this and that. And cause I, like I said, I was, uh, I, I was starting a new living in a new world again. Right. And, um, yeah. And so I, um, I met my wife Uh, one day I was at, um, I was at uh, um, a festival up in Squamish, 2014. And uh, it was the last performance, it was Eminem. And um, long story short, I ended up, we were up there with a bunch of friends and uh, she drove me back because the friends, some of our friends were still, were staying up there. And I was, I had to go back. And um, so uh, she drove me back. And, uh, we ended up talking on the way, this and that long story short. Uh, I, I ended up, uh, you know, I'm, I'm now married to her. Right. And we've been married since, uh, 2018. We both have, Congratulations, the, yeah, man. We bo- yeah, we both have the same birthdays. So we got married on our birthday. No. Yeah. So, uh, 2018, April 18th. You'll
0: never forget the that, anniversary. There you same, go.
1: Yeah. And, um, so she had, uh, yeah. And she had, a. Uh, she had a couple of kids uh f- from her previous uh relationship to um i think three two boys and, and a girl so i came into the family with uh with kids right and they were a little bit old like one was at the time he was uh f- uh let me see t- titan was 15 uh no 14 even younger uh, chase was maybe a couple years older than her and zion was like 9 and now it's like I've been together. We've been together over uh, like six, seven years now. And oh uh, wow,
0: man. Congratulations. Yeah,
1: and uh, along that way, we uh, ended up like I didn't I wasn't able to have any kids with her because she she got snipped at a certain after her last boy or whatever. And um, so, again, like she wanted me to have uh, the experience of kids. And she was like working on, you know, adopting this and that. I said, no you know, I didn't want anything to do with it. I was at that age and point in my life where, you know what, I'm just happy being where I'm at and I can be a stepdad to, to these kids. Right. And, uh, but then God had other plans, right. Um, uh, maybe, uh, two, three, four, so four years ago, uh, her cousin, um, her cousin's wife, um, had dropped off, um, her, her daughter to us, um, to watch her for her for for a couple of days or a week or so um and uh she was uh struck, starting to dabble into the drugs herself and then Sophia was dropped off to us so we can watch her for uh, for a couple of uh, a week or so so she can find housing cuz she had gotten kicked out of her house and then uh the mom never came back for for the for Sophia right wow. yeah
0: so um I'm sorry to hear yeah
1: so i we got her at 2 And Sophia is now six. And of course, I'm her dad now. She calls me dad. And uh, that was, you know, having a a young uh, child like that around really opened my heart up more. Right. Because I I, I never had the experience, like I said, of kids. Um, And, uh, you know, it really it really showed me love. Right. And uh, to be loved and to show and to be able to give love. Right. Because I never never did any of that growing
0: up. Right. And and you get to like you get to make amends as well for just because in addiction right in addiction you just destroy everything around you you destroy your relationship with your family and then you get to be that person who who offers acceptance and love to a little child who might have been destroyed by addiction as well instead you get to be your dad and you get to create this this life for her it's just so beautiful hundred percent
1: that's God's work though right that had not yeah that's a hundred percent because yeah you nailed it on the head because and I didn't even realize it until like somebody else had mentioned it to me and you just mentioned it again. It's like, yeah, this is your, you know what I mean? You're giving back now, right? These are God's kids, man. And you know what I mean? And uh, you couldn't do it in any better way. And um, so, yeah, like, so now um, uh, I'll get into the story of where uh, my wife's friend had uh, this friend, another female, my wife's girlfriend, had a friend who was also again in addiction and she was pregnant and she was going to have a baby and she wanted my wife to take the baby. And I was like, "Uh, no, you know what I mean? This was like, this was, uh, this has been now over a year. Uh, This was about a year ago. And um, she's, I'm like, no, we don't need a newborn. We just got Sophie. We got (laughs) Titan. We got uh, Zion. We got uh, Chase. You know what I mean? Chase has already moved out. He's older uh, Ty and Zion are older now anyways. Right. He's seven, Ty 17, Zion's 15, but we just had gotten Sophie, right. Not too long ago. And she's like, yo, can let's have this, you know, I want to take this baby. So give this baby, a, you know what I mean? A chance at a good life. And, uh, I guess, I think she was more or less leaning towards, she wanted me to have the experience of, again, Sophia was two when we got her, but she wanted me to have the experience of a little toddler, right. of a, Like an actual baby. Um, and, uh, I was like, no, and we were fighting and resentments, this and that, because she was for it and I was against it. And then, uh, at the time I remember I was in a step group with some guys and, um, you know, I ended up just letting it happen. Right. And I, I said, okay. And then, uh, long story short, we ended up, um, the baby little Mason was born. Um, and, um, the mom was in jail. The mom had her. We, we would, we would go visit him to, in the hospital, um, it was like a seven month uh, battle with the ministry. Uh, we ended up getting them at, at seven months, even though we were fighting from day one, the mom gave up all rights to him to, for us, but the ministry mm-hmm. was being, you know, they just were fighting us. Right. For whatever reason, uh, end of the day, the the judge, we went to trial after seven months of uh, court and this and that. Um, and the, the judge is like, well, what's going on here? Right. Why, why are we not giving Mason a forever home? We got two parents who are willing and then let me tell you, Mason was the the icing on the cake for me. We ended up getting him at uh, seven months. And I tell you, I uh, I can't imagine life without him now. Um, he's the, wow. uh, it's just uh, the love. And it's just uh, it warms my heart, man, when I come home and he starts running. And Mason's now uh, two and a half, right? We got him. At I seven. think
0: I saw him in the car. That right? was him. Yeah, I saw him earlier. Yeah. We had a little video chat. Yeah, that wow, was, that was
1: Mason. And uh, he was born addicted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause the mother was, uh, doing drugs and on methadone. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, he's honestly, I can't imagine. I, I often think, you know, like, um, what if we didn't fight for him and he ended up somewhere else, I'd be missing out on his love and the joy he brings me every day. So as much as I fought it and I was, and I, my whole perspective changed once I actually had the experience and stuff. Right. And, uh, yeah, that's what's going on now. I'm uh, <laughs> the full-time dad. And, you know, now I actually, uh, uh, you know, I I'm I, I'm I work in a company where they actually trust me with uh, opening up the the business and I have the keys and the alarm code, and I'm like, lack little do they know about anything of me, <laughs> you know? <what> I mean? <laughs> uh,
0: but no, Peter, man, yeah. I just I don't know, I I'm so blown away. Like I'm I'm getting emotional listening to you because it's your story is so. It's just such a profound example of of what can happen when you when you choose to turn your life around and when you choose to. Um, live in a different way. You you've suddenly come around and you're you're fostering and and nurturing a family and and providing for kids in a way that you never got provided for in a way that you never experienced. But it's just. You're so blessed, man. Yeah. Everyone in your life is blessed to have you, and I'm I'm honored that you came on the show and shared your story. I'm really really happy I got to hear it, and more people need to hear this story. Yeah, man. for it's, sure. Yeah, it's really important that people hear this and and listen to what can happen when when you choose to change your life yeah. when you choose to live in a new way. Exactly,
1: and, and I mean everybody. Uh, the once I heard this once from a counselor in Baldy Hughes. He says uh, everybody uh, uh, has and can everybody has a hundred percent chance of staying and getting of getting and staying clean. And this is true. You know what I mean? Never mind about the stats or whatever. He says, everybody has a hundred percent chance of getting and staying clean. And this is true. As long as you do what's required, uh, you know what I mean? And you like for myself, it was all because I got involved with the program. It was the steps. It was like, I was told, I followed the path of thousands of others. Right. And uh, yeah. relapse doesn't have to be a part of anybody's story. Like I was one of the hard, most hardcore drug addicts out there. I I just took nine years of sobriety. Thankfully, thank God to that, right? I know that any day it could all go away in the blink of an eye for me. But it also doesn't have to happen that way either. You know what I mean? So like, um, yeah. you know, like I it's for myself. I realized what I had to do first was change my way. It was my way of thinking, right? And, um, I had to convince myself before I can convince anybody else that, that I, this is the only way, and this is what I need to do is the minute I convinced my own brain and fucking got those crazy thoughts out of my head, uh, you know, my body followed. Right. And my heart followed, man. And it was like, uh, yeah. And then the steps and everything else in the program was just a bonus. You know what I mean? And, uh,
0: but they also taught you like having that sponsor to just call every day and and having people to help you transition back it's it's not just the steps it's not just like it's really about like having having guidance yeah
1: exactly guidance i needed guidance right um
0: i bet you guys are so close right now man like i bet i can only imagine like after that many years oh, going through amazing. that stuff like you have the same sponsor that's yeah. beautiful joe
1: says he, you know when he gets up with the cakes and stuff uh he's because when i take my cakes in the program he's like this is this is one of the best success stories you're going to hear, right? Before I get, up yeah. and speak, you know what I mean? And
0: where, where do you see yourself in the future? What, what's your vision for the future and what do you want to, uh, to leave behind? What type of legacy do you want to leave behind?
1: You know, honestly, I was never the type of guy to, uh, to think about what's going to happen a week from now, or I was always the guy that kind of lived in the moment. If, you know, um, you know, they say, uh, the, the, yesterday's gone um then tomorrow's' it's not here right so i just kind of live in the moment wherever you know i just now i want these kids to be happy you know what i mean
0: good answer man
1: and i don't want yeah. uh i don't want uh like mason sophia comes from a addicted background of, of parents you know what i mean both parents are still messed up out there and i'm sure she's seen some of it while she was with uh her parents you know what i mean um, she might've been young, but they're, they're not stupid kids. Right. At two years old, she's old enough to see and, and yeah. I mean, excuse me. And, uh, and Mason came, like I said, he was born addicted. Right. Um, but I think he's, uh, he's on the right track because he has two loving parents and a very loving family and home. Right. And, um,
0: and they never have to see that again, man. They never have to see yeah, that again. Exactly. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: And, and neither do I, right. Uh, I don't ever yeah, have to go back. It's
0: over. Yeah. And uh, that's the, that's the beautiful thing.
1: Right. And, you know, I don't miss, I don't miss the, those streets. I don't miss the fucking courtrooms, the, uh, the, the court cases, uh, you know, looking over my shoulder, you know what I mean? I don't miss any of it. Uh, at times I dwell on it. I'm like the the, the money part, you know what I mean? But uh, nah, I, it's just a quick thought and it's
0: gone right away. Right. Peter, man, it has been so good meeting you. It's been so good hearing your story. I'm really excited to share this with everybody. And um, I wish you the best, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, likewise. And uh, I appreciate you reaching out.
0: Thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of The Addictive Pod. If you haven't already, please don't forget to subscribe on whatever listening platform you use and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts that really helps us to grow the community, grow the audience, and help share the message of recovery. I'm going to put a link below in the description to Peter Soyless's Instagram account. Reach out to him if you want to about the episode that you just heard or just stay in touch and and see what else is coming his way. I don't know if a book is going to come out or if a podcast is going to come out but this guy's story does deserve both of those things so I would not be surprised. Give the Addictive Podcast a follow as well. The Instagram is at AddictivePodcast. And that's where you can stay up to date with the weekly episodes coming out every Wednesday morning. That's all for me today, guys. Enjoy the day. And as always, remember, we recover together.